Or, oh, shocks. We're talking about a biological one, too. All right, guys. We're going to be continuing in part two of our wisdom series. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it to Proverbs chapter one. We're going to read verses seven through 19 together. And follow along on the overhead there. Let's dig in and see what does the Bible have to say to us this morning. Starting at verse 7. The fear of the Lord, or better yet, the fear of Yahweh, is the beginning of wisdom, or beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. My son, now look at this guy's follow along. This is for us today too. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Does everybody see that? Do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious wealth. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Son, man, throw, throw in your lot with us. We'll have one purse. <clears throat> Again, look at the admonition of verse 15. <clears throat> My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet far from their path <clears throat> for their feet run to evil they hasten to shed blood indeed it is useless to spread the net in the eyes of any bird but they lie in wait for their own blood they ambush their own lives so are the ways of everyone who gains by violence it takes away the life of the possessor Let's slide four. So let's dig into this this morning. Now, last week we kind of like began our journey into the book of Proverbs. And again, I'm hoping to turn this into a book at some point. And I asked some questions that are really important because I really want to draw you into the text. Questions I asked last week, which are up on the screen, are what is wisdom? Hopefully, you remember from last week's teaching. Where does it come from? How do I acquire it? How do I apply it to my everyday life? Is it even important to me? And here's the one I added. Are you taking time to know God? I want you to think about that. Last week, I encouraged you guys to spend some time each day in the Scriptures... The real question is, have you done that? I mean, I know our television gets a lot of time and our cell phone and our iPads and gaming devices. Out of all of the different things that occupied your week last week, how much of that time did actually go to God? And then we defined some terms last week to help us better understand what and why we need to learn. Slide five. We define that word wisdom. The Hebrew word is chakma. 
In the Hebrew, that word wisdom actually means masterful understanding, skill, expertise. <clears throat> we define the word wisdom in the Greek language, the way Paul and James would use it. That word is Sophia. It also means insight, deep understanding, expertise, and skill. We also learned, uh, you guys learned some Latin last week. We learned where we get this word Proverbs from, the word Provivium. It's, come, it's from the Latin word Provivium. It's the word Proverbs. The Hebrew word for Proverbs that is used here in the text is the word Mashal. The root word means to rule. And, and of course, if you remember, you learned some new words, a pithy maxim. A pithy maxim? What's a pithy maxim, Pastor Jack? I'm so glad you asked that again. See, a pithy maxim is just a fancy way of saying or speaking about words that are forceful in meaning, words that are forceful in meaning and substance and expression. So Proverbs are these, these forceful words in, that have meaning and substance and expression to them. And then we, we looked at uh, the uh, slide six. We learned that Proverbs are rules for living and stated truths that God has placed his word to govern our lives. And yet we hardly spend any time there. So the preacher's outline sermon Bible says, there are several characteristics that help the reader learn from these Proverbs. What are they? They are short and concise sayings. Catchy sayings. They are constructed in such a way that makes them easy to remember. They are candid sayings. They are convicting and to the point, And they will often make the reader uncomfortable. They are ethical state, uh, sayings. Teach only honorable principles in slide 7. They are educational. Parents used to use these to teach their children. They are familiar sayings that are repeated and quoted that have been handed down through generations. Imagine that. Instead of handing kids money and gaming devices, what if we handed them wisdom? And they are sayings that express a general truth. Slide 8. Then last week we looked at the purpose of wisdom. So we asked the question, what is it? Where does it come from? How do we acquire it? How do we apply it? So then we came to Proverbs verses 2 through 4 of chapter 1, and we looked at the purpose of wisdom. And the purpose of wisdom is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, church, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the naive or simple, knowledge and discernment to the young, something that's missing today. So that was a little bit of just a little synopsis of stuff that we started to cover last week. And I'm sure if I give you a test, you'll remember all that, right? So let's move ahead. Slide 9 and 10. This probably is one of the most important verses in the entire 66 canonical books that we have. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom instruction. I don't want you to miss that. <clears throat> the fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh, 
that is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom instruction. And then the New Living puts it this way. Fear of Yahweh is the foundation of true knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. So true wisdom, true wisdom church, the chakma, the deep understanding begins with the fear of the Lord. So this begs the question, what is the fear of the Lord? The Hebrew word for fear is the word yara. In fact, in the book of Proverbs alone, that word yara or fear is actually used 14 different times just in the book of Proverbs alone. So the question is, okay, Solomon, what did you mean when you used the word fear? I don't want to take my 21st century thinking and eisegete and read into the text. I want to go down into the text and say, okay, when he used this word back then, what was he trying to get across to his son who he wrote these first few verses to? The word yahra. This word here, as it is used, means reverence, meaning a deep and profound love and respect for God. So the fear is used here means a deep, listen, a deep and profound love and respect for God. It has the idea of awe. The question we need to ask ourselves this morning, do we live in such a way that we reveal that we too have a deep and profound love and respect for God? Do we have that kind of fear for God? That's the real question here. Slide 11. Thomas Haywes, in his commentary, says this about the word. God must be the object of our fear, not as dreading his wrath, but with reverential respect and awe before him, with holy jealousy, careful not to offend him, and in all his worship and ways, solicitous, meaning care and concern, to please him. Think about it. Do we bother going about our day and saying, you know, what are some of the ways that I can glorify God and please him today? Because obviously Solomon's trying to really, his son probably is maybe 16, 17 years old when he's writing this to his son. And he really was trying to instill, son, we need to have a deep and profound love and respect for God and his ways. Because that is what is going to teach you and I to live disciplined and successful lives. Son, it's going to help you to learn to do what is right, fair, and just. So it seems, church, that we need to recognize who God really is and give him the honor and respect and authority that is due to him and him alone. So if we truly fear the Lord, it should show up in the fact that we are submitting to him and walking in obedience with him. Slide 12. Here's the questions again. Do we really fear him that way? Forget me. I mean, these are tough questions. You and I are going to stand before him on Judgment Day. So think about that. Do we really fear him? Church, do we have a deep and profound love and respect for Yahweh? If we say we do, 
ask ourselves this, how does that show up in our everyday life? If our friends were questioned, hey, does so-and-so fear the Lord, what would the people that know us say about us? What would they observe about our behavior every day? It's getting quiet again, Dr. Carter. So church, fear meaning respect and awe at this majesty of this God, the only true and living God in the universe. Church, that is the correct response in the presence of holy God. You and I are to have a contrite heart. We are to yield all of our lives over to the Lord. You and I are to acknowledge Him in all our ways, and we are to turn away from evil. It is then we can discover the practical wisdom that God makes available to us through His Word. Slide 13. He says, the beginning of knowledge. Okay, Solomon, what did you mean by the word beginning? Rashith. That word beginning has the idea of first and place and time and order. And the Hebrew word for knowledge is a different word here. It's death. It means discernment, insight. Bruce Walkie, slide 14. I like what he says about this. Wisdom and knowledge are inseparable. For mastery of life's experience demand knowledge of God's moral order. That we have that church. So then, the fear of Yahweh, church, that is the starting point. That is the first in place and order for gaining knowledge and discernment from the Lord. As the creator, sustainer, and ruler of all that is, he knows what life is meant to be for all of us. And when you and I yield our lives over to the Lord and we feed on his word, this is what happens, slide 15. Think about this. This is exciting stuff. He teaches us the beginning and purpose of life. The beginning and purpose of life. Why are we here? Why are we here, church? Ask yourself that this morning. He teaches us the meaning and significance of life. Life has no meaning apart from God. I promise you it has no meaning apart from God. And he also teaches you and I how to walk in obedience with him. So that is kind of like those first few verses of Proverbs, verses 1 through 7. Do we have that reverential fear of the Lord? Do we just think that we can get away with anything? Ask yourself that. Then Solomon, slide 16, then starts to give a warning against the enticement of sinners. And again, here is where we can learn and apply the teaching of Scripture to our lives. Solomon's, again, you can almost feel the emotion when he's talking to his son here. You know, he's talking to his boy. And he's like, hear my son. Listen to dad's instruction, son. Don't desert your mom's teaching, son. If you don't, if you listen to me, it's going to be a graceful wreath to your head. And it's going to be ornaments around your neck. I want you to notice that word here, slide 17. You're going to notice that if you read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is how many? One. The word there is Shema. We call that in Deuteronomy 6, 4, the great Shema, the great hearing. So 
The word here, as Solomon uses, uses the word here, isn't just like, oh, I'm listening to something in the background. The word here, the word Shema, has the idea of obedience. The idea here is that you and I are to listen attentively to the Word of God and obey it. What is Solomon doing? He wants him to hear, listen attentively to his instruction, meaning his discipline, his chastisement. So the idea here from Solomon to his son is the idea of education or instruction through correction. And then he ties that together. He says, not only that, son, don't desert, forsake, give up. Don't cast away. Don't abandon the teaching that you get from mom. Your mom has a lot of wisdom, son. See, children are entrusted to their mom and dad who are responsible for teaching them to trust and obey the Lord. Parents are not supposed to be dumping that responsibility on our public school system. Think about it. Our kids spend all week in Caesar's place, come back and our little kids are coloring Noah's Ark, and we think that's all they need? Oh, it's getting quiet again. We have the responsibility as parents to do that. And listen, it's painfully obvious that our society has completely abandoned God's wisdom that is shared here in the Scripture. Amen? When a child heeds, listens, and obeys godly wisdom, Solomon says, Son, it's a graceful wreath and ornaments on your neck. Graceful. The word there is cane. The, the idea here is something that is attractive to others that wins their favor. The wreath here, the livya, was placed on the head much like a crown to show honor or esteem. Back in the games when they would win, instead of getting a trophy, they would get a beautiful wreath that was placed on their head. So the wreath was to show honor or esteem somebody. So you have this graceful, this attractive wreath that was placed on the head. Ornaments, or the onox, are much like the necklaces we would wear today. How do we take all that and we put it together? Because we don't wear wreaths on our head today. So really, what is the deeper meaning that Solomon was trying to get across to his son? Because his son would have really understood more than we do what was trying to be conveyed here. Look at what Thomas Scott says. Slide 18, in his commentary. Consider that most youth today generally seek notice and admiration by external decorations and vain ostination, meaning a vulgar display, especially of wealth and luxury, intended to impress or attract others in diverse ways. Boy, we see that today, don't we? While they neglect both the fear of God and respectful obedience to their parents. Don't we see that today? And superiors, which are vastly more becoming and more valuable in the judgment of all wise men. All of the children who walk in obedience to their parents' instruction and teachings wear that teaching like a beautiful wreath and ornament around their neck. So it was a visual imagery that he was getting. Son, when you are gracious that way, and you are respectful and honorable, that's attractive to people, son. That's attractive to people. That's essentially what he was trying to say in our modern vernacular. Slide 19. Bruce Walkie says this. 
in Solomon's kingdom, wise children wear his splendid teaching figuratively as a necklace. And in slide 20, the preacher's outline in Sermon Bible says this, Children who obey their parents' discipline and teaching are crowned by others with honor, favor, and respect. So look what else Solomon says. Look at slide 21 through 23. His warning continues. Son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. The drug dealer says, come on down here and get your drugs. Do not consent. Do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without cause, <clears throat> let us swallow them up alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit, we will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Slide 22. Throw in your lot with us. We shall have one purse. And then 15 and 16. Son, do not walk in the way with them. Son, do not align your life with the life of those people that want to shed innocent blood, take advantage of people, and harm people. Keep your feet, keep your walk, your way of life far away from their path. For their feet run to evil and they hasten to shed innocent blood. And 23 and 24 in the NLT says it this way. My son, if sinners entice, meaning son, if sinners tempt by offering pleasure or advantage to you, turn your back on them. They may say, come and join us. Let's hide and kill someone. Let's shoot up those stores for no reason at all down in our city. Just for fun, let's ambush the innocent. Let's just walk and punch them in the face and knock them out cold for any reason at all. Let's swallow them alive like the grave. Let's swallow them whole like those who go down to the pit of death. Think of all the great things we'll get. We'll fill our house with all kinds of stuff. Junk. Video games and all kinds of stuff. Come, throw your lot with us. We'll all share in the loot. You could take this 3,500-year-old piece of document and apply it to us right now today. Could we not? Don't tell me the Word of God doesn't have value. And then Solomon's admonition. That's right. My child, don't go along with them. Stay far away from them. All they do is rush to commit evil, and they hurry to commit murder. Sinners, church, as that word is used here in the text, has the idea of an individual who lives a life open and unrestrained behavior as a way of life. Let me share again from John Kitchen's commentary, slide 25. John Kitchen says this. The prohibition is do not consent. The Hebrew describes the willingness or the inclination to do something under obligation or request. We call that peer pressure today. Do not yield your will to anyone except God. Let me say that again. I beg you, I hope you hear. Do not yield your will to anyone except God. When they do their best to seduce and lead you astray, keep your will bent away from their path. 
obviously for the youth it shows up as peer pressure and we all know peer pressure today can be extremely dangerous he says in verse 11 let us ambush the innocent without cause notice the temptation that Solomon's talking about here to his son is to take pleasure in harming or killing someone for absolutely no reason at all we'll fill our houses with spoil see they not only want to steal and harm but the the whole idea here is they actually enjoy doing it think about how that's being played out today let's take what we've learned from the text and apply it to where we are today let's, what's that contemporary significance well what do we see today especially in our major cities gangs terrorizing innocent people robbing and shooting up stores killing people harming them for no reason at all think about the pain and the lifelong wounds people will need to deal with so many today think they're getting rich or winning the lottery or stealing from others is the way to live out life but that's not really what the bible teaches is a church people want to bypass man shall work by the sweat of his brow to dust does he return and what do they want to do they want to bypass all that and they're buying the lottery tickets and the scratch off tickets and you go into Wawa and they're lined up there you know and they're I told you before you see them there you go, oh my gosh and and you know what you got to think what does God see when God sees that look at Paul's teaching slide 26 and 27 Paul's teachings in 1 Timothy 6. Paul says this, more wisdom for you and I to apply to our life. But those who want to get rich, be honest, have you ever thought about wanting to get rich? Oh boy, it's quiet again, Dr. Carter. Those who want to get rich, and pipto, fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Verse 10. For the love of money. By the way, that's the word agape there. We're talking about you, you, it's an act of your will. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith, they got all the money and coin in their pocket. God's not even on the radar, and they pierce themselves with many griefs. I like how the NLT says it, slide 27. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by so many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I know it's a lot to fit in the ear, but this is what the Bible teaches us. This is the wisdom from Scripture that God wants you and I to take to heart so that we're here not to get rich, but we're here to glorify the only true and living God. Amen? Amen. You know, so many folks today are under this delusion this horrible delusion that money is going to solve all their problems and make them happy forever. Oh, Pastor Jack, you don't understand. If I win the lottery, 
Oh, I'm going to give the church this, this, that, and the other. God doesn't need your money. God's not up there, you know, polishing pennies. So many folks today live in financial bondage. And I am a certified financial fitness coach, so I'm going to tell you some things. All they think about is, I don't have enough. I just don't have enough. I just don't have enough. Yet, here's the funny part about it, especially when they come into my office for financial coaching. Oh, I don't have enough. Yet at the same time, so many folks will spend well beyond their means. They buy things before they even have the money to pay for them. They'll buy into the garbage commercials. We don't care if you ever paid a bill. Buy now, pay later. <laughs> and here's the problem. They end up a slave to debt. They're always behind. None of you all have that problem, I'm sure. It's okay. What happens when we forfeit God and chase after wealth? Well, the idea for one in the original language here has the idea of this calculated plan, procedure to bypass God and get rich. But that isn't God's plan for our lives, church. Some choose to chase after wealth, but they always fall. And that word fall has the idea of being trapped. How do we see this trapping reveal itself to you and I today? How do we apply the wisdom of Scripture to our lives so that we can live healthy, fruitful lives? You know, people will flock to casinos and they'll buy the lottery tickets. And when it's over, what happens? The house always wins. They lose. That's quiet again, Dr. Carter. The Bible has a term for that kind of thinking. It's called foolishness. It's a snare. The snare is something that cappers you. See, here's the thing. When all that stuff's happening, it's awaking the sinful desires that were always there to begin within you. And the verse warns us that it is harmful. It means this kind of thinking is going to injure you. It's, he, he uses the word plunge. The, the, the idea of plunging here means to sink down deeper and deeper and to drown. You keep going down further and further, getting behind in debt, while the casinos and the scratch-off people rejoice with your hard-earned money. The lottery people enjoy every dollar you scratch away at, and they laugh while people sit in front of their TVs and they watch the little bouncing red ball. 27, 16, 5. Boy, I'm treading on toes now, Dr. Carter. He then gives us the result here. Ruin and destruction. Destroyed credit. <clears throat> Hear me this morning. Listen, listen, listen to the wisdom of the Word of God. Ruin and destruction of the world's way of thinking is foolishness. It is ruin and destruction. He says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money itself doesn't destroy you. The love of that money destroys you. And people that can't manage $20,000 or $15,000 a year, how in the world are they going to manage $100,000, $200,000, dollars $300,000 a year? They can't even manage a small, tiny budget, and yet we're going to hand them all that money. Why? 
the people that, wear, that win millions within less than 60 months are worse off than before they won the money. That's a fact. You can't take poverty-stricken wisdom and try to apply it to somebody that's going to win $100,000 or $200,000, $300,000. It doesn't work, church. It's foolishness and destruction. God tells you how to handle money in his word. He gives you the wisdom in his word. But to, nobody wants that. They want the world's wisdom. They want to sit in front of the TV and watch the little bouncing ball. Doesn't work, does it? <clears throat> and here, here's something else. It doesn't say that being wealthy is bad. It's the motive behind the behavior that gets people in trouble. And then he uses the word wander, which has the idea of somebody who's being led astray or seduced. And boy, those commercials are good at seducing, aren't they? You know, they study all of your emotions and which ones to tap and touch to get you to think, I don't know how I could have ever lived without that. Oh, my gosh. Ask yourself, are you still chasing after the money, chasing after the wealth? It's a dead-end road, church. When you see a TV infomercial, beware. Do not, as this verse says, pierce yourself with sorrows. Do not let the world's wisdom system penetrate your heart with its tricks and end up with grief, as this verse tells us. I see so many homes broken because people are fighting, married couples are fighting over money, you know, where the couples want to live together to try it out first. We're going to live together and see if it works. Foolish, ignorant, stupid nonsense. The Bible doesn't say, hey, listen, you two shack up for a year and see if it works out. Shack up. And if it doesn't work out with her, trade her in like a used car and go to the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says a man shall leave his mom and dad and be joined to his what? Does it say his girlfriend? One night stand? No, his wife. And they became how many fleshes? Right. God's way has always been the right way. I'm sorry, I only have 18 more pages. Whatever, okay. So, let's slide 28. So, Solomon is warning his son not to participate in criminal activity to gain wealth by harming people or stealing. But this is how he finishes this thought out. Slide 28 and 29. <clears throat> Proverbs 1, 17 through 19. Indeed, son, it's as useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood they ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of the possessors. And in the NLT, <clears throat> if a bird sees a trap being set, it knows to stay away. But these people set an ambush for themselves. They are trying to get themselves killed. Such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. Paul warns us against making ourselves a victim of our own sinful, fleshly desires. Do not consent, church. Save up the money that you need and then pay for it. Why do you want to give free money away to air? Interest is, not, interest is what we call fiat money. It's air money. If a pair of pants from Macy's costs $69 and you just pay the minimum payment on that pair of pants, you end up paying $167 for the same pair of pants. Why do you want to do that? 
Hello, McFly. Why do we, you know? <clears throat> Paul warns us against making ourselves a victim of our own sinful fleshly desires. <clears throat> Beware of seeking wealth by harming people or breaking the law. Beware of the counterfeit. Listen to this. Beware of the counterfeit friends who want to entice you by bypass doing what's right. See, faithful are the wounds of a real friend. They'll tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Think of how this teaching, this warning from the Word of God could change so many lives of people would just heed its counsel. Open up your Bible and let God speak to you through his life-giving Word. <clears throat> now look at wisdom's plea here. We're almost done. This is verses 20 through 22, slide 30 and 31. I love this. This is wonderful. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. <clears throat> At the end of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O oh naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing and fools hate knowledge. Foolish people hate knowledge. I like how the end of NLT puts it. <clears throat> Wisdom shouts in the street. She cries out in the public square. She calls out to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in front of the city gate. How long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? So Solomon Church has just finished instructing his son on refusing to be enticed by sinners. This, this dad is trying to keep his son from destroying his life before it even gets started. 1 Corinthians 15.33, we don't have a slide for it, but Paul telling the church of Corinth, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Be careful who you share your life with. Be careful who you share your life with. I'm only telling you what God is telling all of us, me included. Bad company has a corrupt, the corrupting here has the idea of it just decays your life. It just wears away at anything that you've learned it as wisdom. It, won't, it always appeals to the flesh. Solomon says, wisdom shouts in the street. She cries out in the public square. Right? Slide 31. She calls out to the crowds in the main street, to those gathered in front of the gate. What do we see going on here? What do we see? Wisdom isn't just for the home. It's also there to equip you with, for life on the streets. The Hebrew word shouts here has the idea of this loud, boisterous, emotional plea to listen. Church, think about all the noise, the commotion, the confusion, the unrest, the uncertainty that's out in the streets. Dangerous place to be today, amen? Think about all the voices bidding for your attention, hollering, screaming, the invitation to follow the world's way of thinking, which does not submit to God's way of thinking. 
In verse 22, he says, How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Now, the, the idea of being naive here in the Hebrew has the idea of somebody who's very easily seduced, somebody that's gullible, somebody that's easily tricked and is willing to believe what anyone says because a person has not equipped his heart with the wisdom from God. The Bible has no time for him. He just doesn't want to spend any time in the Word. So he ends up living a shipwrecked life. Next thing you know, you're 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, and you're like, why is my life worse now than it was when I was 18 and 20? Oh, it's quiet again, Dr. Carter. See, this group of people that Solomon is talking about acts irresponsibly. They are thoughtless towards other people. They get pleasure out of acting foolishly. They seem to waste away their lives chasing after things that have no value and only end up harming themselves and others. Ask yourself this this morning. What are you chasing after that's not healthy for you? You think if you get this thing or whatever it is, life will be good. What are we chasing after? Slide 32, right? What are these things that are in our lives right now that we chase after that have no real value in our lives? Think about where you spend most of your time. Ask yourself, where's the value? And then we come to that word mockers. The, The idea of a mocker here in the Hebrew is the idea of somebody that ridicules you or you're ridiculing somebody else or you have disdain for someone. Or, or you want to cause somebody deep emotional pain or derision. How many people have been assassinated with our mouths? Well, now it got real quiet. Think about it. How many people have our mouths become a weapon of mass destruction that have harmed other people? Because they didn't fulfill a need we have or give us what we want. Ooh, it's quiet. Then we come to the word fools. Slide 33. I like how John Kitchen spells this out in his commentary. He says this. This indicates one who is a thick-headed and stubborn. It's not that the fool is stupid, but rather that he has, by his refusal to listen to the wisdom of his parents, chosen a resolutely self-destructive outlook on life. The source of his problem is spiritual, not mental deficiency. He has no place for truth in his life and no time for the fear of the Lord. He goes on in slide 34 to say this, The problem lies with our affections. The problem lies with our affections, church. We love what ought to frighten us. Right? We love what ought to frighten us. We delight in what should repulse us. And we hate what should be most cherished. Wow. It lies in our affections. What are the things that you and I love that should actually frighten us? Pastor Jack, I have more bill at the end of the month, yet my cable bill is $120 a month. I've got to watch the 3,000th episode of Law and Order in Seinfeld. Oh, Pastor Jack, I don't want to take that money 
and get ahead of debt and get bills paid off and take that monkey off my back. No, I need that. Even though it does me no good, it makes me mindless. Uh-oh. Slide 35. Wisdom rightly asked the question, how long, church? How long will you and I continue in foolishness? How long will you continue in your destructive behavior? If you don't have money, why are you sucking down the booze? Why are we going to the state store to get the bottle or the bar? Why are we spending money foolishly? If you were to drop dead, does the owner of the state store say, I'm going to cover all your funeral expenses for your family? You know, or you're sucking cigarettes at a mile a minute. Is, is Philip Mars going to go, oh, here's a million dollars for your family for buying my product? Oh, it's real quiet now, Dr. Carter. I don't know. And I'm just trying to give you some ways to think about applying wisdom to your life so that you're not spending money foolishly. Delay the gratification and get ahead. That's wisdom from Scripture. How long will you reject, will reject godly wisdom? Church, it's important to note here that wisdom, listen, this is important. Wisdom here isn't lashing out to you or I in anger or frustration. The wisdom that comes from God knows full well the end result that fools will face. So wisdom, as we saw in the beginning, is sending out this emotional plea, this invitation to turn and respond to her while you still have time left to do it. Look what he says in 36 and 37, Proverbs 123. So Solomon says, Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. That should just be mind-blowing to you with excitement. Or at the NLT, come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you, says wisdom. I'll make you wise. This costs you nothing. The world costs you everything. And a shipwrecked life. That's the end payment for you. I'll share my heart with you. I'll make you wise. Notice the word turn here. In the Hebrew, has the idea of repenting, turning back, turning from evil to good. Instead of going to the drug dealer to get the drugs that are just going to kill you and destroy you, and the drug dealer's going, thanks for patting my wallet, you turn from that behavior. You turn away from that behavior, and you repent. You go in the opposite direction of it. Slide 30. Look at how Bruce Walkie defines this in his commentary. The central meaning of having moved in a particular direction to move thereupon in the opposite direction. Away from evil to good, from folly to wisdom, so that it becomes, listen, the most important term for repentance in the Bible. Slide 39. Turn to my reproof. Turn to my chastisement, my correction, to call into account. You want to grow? Get discipled and have some, be accountable to someone. If you really, really want to grow, get discipled. Meet with some. How, is your life not worth an hour a week to meet with a leader in a church to get discipled and to build the wisdom of God's word into your life? 
so the remainder of your life doesn't have to be like the first 30, 40, 50, or 60 years? Think through that, church. Slide 40. If a person truly repents, I want you to look at the promised result he or she will receive. If they truly turn away from the destructive behavior of spending money you don't have on things that destroy, he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you, or I'll share my heart with you, and I'll make you wise. The Hebrew here is powerful. I want you all to notice God's promise here. God will literally pour out, literally in the Hebrew, God will literally gush out His Spirit upon you. And the other promise is He's going to make His words known to you. I've said this many times before. God the Holy Spirit never works independently from Scripture. Ever. Slide 41 and 2. Look what John says in John 6.63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Do you hear that? Is that resonating like a gong in your head right there, what I just read to you? In the NLT, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human efforts accomplish nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. As I close, what are the scriptures telling us? Slide 43 and 44. I want to read something from Paul Washer. To receive and follow the gospel, call, is to reject all that can be seen with the eye and held in the hand in exchange for what cannot be seen. It is to reject personal autonomy and the right to self-government in order to enslave oneself to the Messiah who died 2,000 years ago. To receive the gospel is not merely to pray a prayer asking Jesus to come into your heart, but it is to put away the world and embrace the fullness of the claims of Christ. Listen up. A genuine receiving of the gospel not only involves a disdain for and turning away from sin, but also a disdain for and turning from any confidence other than Christ, especially a confidence in self. Does that hit home or what? You see, Satan wants you to believe the lie that you're beyond saving. He really does. He wants you to sit there and play the video tabs back in your mind for the 10,000th time of all the horrible, rotten, filthy things you've ever done. And play, I'm sure that none happened, none of you. He wants you to sit there and say, look, you're a filthy wretch. You're not worth saving. That you've sinned far too much. Don't believe the lie. Let me share with you again what I shared back in the summer. Listen, it doesn't matter how many times you've sinned or continue to sin. It doesn't matter whether you're a murderer or you're the most prideful, self-righteous sinner on earth. It doesn't matter how much booze you suck down every week or how many drugs that you continually use that are destroying your body. It doesn't matter if you're a thief or you're a drug dealer. And it doesn't matter how much profanity you hurl out of your mouth. 
It doesn't matter how many lies you've told. doesn't matter if you've had an abortion. doesn't matter if you have a criminal record a mile long. And I could go on and on. The good news is this. Listen to what I'm saying. The good news is this. There is hope for the most desperate, wretched, darkest sinner. There is hope for the most self-righteous, prideful sinner. Why? Because the power of God is in the gospel. I hope that brings you comfort this morning. You see, God is still about the business of rescuing sinners from themselves. He hasn't stopped. And God, through his only unique son, is the one that cancels out the sin debt. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. How is God's forgiveness and grace applied to your life and my life? How can a man or woman who is dead in his sins and trespasses save himself? He can't. I can't. It is God, the Holy Spirit, who chooses to breathe life into dead sinners. Christ alone is the only one who can make you and I right with the Father. There's no other way. Don't believe any lie. When a person comes to realize his complete inability to do anything on his own that would turn away God's wrath and favor, he is now ready to trust in and believe Christ alone, who bore that wrath and curse in his own body on the cross. On that cross, the sins of every person who would believe were placed right on Christ. The very worst about you and I was placed on Jesus, and the very best about him was placed on you and I. And his blood was spilled at that cross. And that's how you and I are reconciled to the Father. There's no other way. His death is what satisfied the righteous anger of the Father. His sacrifice and payment for our sins has now provided salvation free to all who will call upon his name. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. I know I gave you an awful lot to fit in your ear. My, my, my hope is that if you have not surrendered your life to Christ, that you would do so when you can. Because if once you die, there's no second chance. There's no purgatory. There's no, there's no backroom deals with God. I, I hope you're hearing me this morning. If you are here and you hear the Holy Spirit just, just tapping away at your heart, I'm going to ask you to surrender your life to Christ as it's been freely offered to you in the gospel. Amen? And get into the Word of God. Get discipled. You don't have to have the remaining years be like the first years. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. In Yeshua's name, amen. Shake hands, meet and greet.